Hello and welcome to episode 266 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. This is the last episode before Christmas. I'm having a quiet one at home this year. The way it's looking, I fear that many of us might be doing the same, whether planned or not. But whatever you end up doing, have a wonderful time. And of course, most of all, stay classy. For today's story, I'm afraid there's no cheerful message of hope or goodwill to all. We'll leave that to my least favourite TV programme, The One Show. Please don't tell me you're a fan. Just the music makes me wretch a little. Instead, we head to Surrey for another distressing tale of a shocking and violent end to a young life that held such promise. It's another story around a common theme. A night out that promises so much, which then goes terribly wrong. As I said last week, I know many of you have considered supporting me at Patreon and getting all the exclusive content, but other things just get in the way. Life gets in the way. So do remember that just for December, I'm offering a free signed copy of my book Gone Fishing about serial killer Angus Sinclair for anyone who signs up to support me on Patreon for an annual package which costs as little as 15 quid. A perfect gift for Christmas up there with a car air freshener and bar of chocolate from your local garage on Christmas Eve. Just head to patreon.com slash UK True Crime. Look, I'm super serious. I've even got a logo. What do you reckon? Give the gift of the UK's 37th most popular true crime podcaster this Christmas. Or an afternoon at the sauna in Rochdale is for life, not just Christmas. (laughs) I think I'll work on it, would you reckon? Talking to Patreon, I'd like to thank all my supporters there and especially the new members of this exclusive club. That is Kasara Penman, Lisa Rose, Magella O'Sullivan and Tina Setaro. Thank you so much for getting on board with me here at Patreon. It is so much appreciated. Okay, so we have no adverts today, so let's get straight on with setting some context for the story with our guest the month and year game. Let's pick a couple of random songs from the top 10 for a change. Hey, it's Christmas after all, so anything goes, right? Number two in the UK music charts was Flow Rider with a whistle. In <laughs> If Bethan's listening, don't laugh. In the US, at number six was One Direction with What Makes You Beautiful. Top of the album chart in Australia was Missy Higgins with The Old Razzle Dazzle. In the news this month, a helicopter crashed near Nairobi, Kenya, killed five people, including a Kenyan cabinet minister. The Moody's rating agency downgraded 15 major banks in the UK, US, Canada and Europe. 30 people attending a funeral in Syria were killed on a day that saw 83 civilian deaths. And Mohamed Morsi was signed in as President of Egypt. It was also the month when football coach Manuel Presadio Revadello was due to be unveiled as the new manager of Spanish top football team Villarreal the next day, but he was found dead from a heart attack at the age of 54. And finally, in UK true crime news, Rebecca Brooks, the former CEO of News International, appeared at Westminster Magistrates Court on phone hacking charges alongside her husband and four other News International employees. 
You may recall that following a criminal trial, she was cleared of all charges by a jury at the Old Bailey, which accepted her defence that in the circumstances, she had no knowledge of the illegal acts carried out by staff at the newspaper. No comment about the litigious Rebecca Brooks. Did you get the month and year? It was June 2012. So on to today's story. When I was at university in South Wales, I spent many a fun day watching Glamorgan play cricket. At the time, one of their most exciting players from a bumper crop was batsman Matthew Maynard. His swashbuckling, aggressive style got people out of the bars when he came to the crease and he was an absolute pleasure to watch. He became a bit of a legend in Wales and the Manic Street Preachers even referred to him in the song Mr Carbohydrate which is the B-side of A Design for Life, with the following lyric. Have you heard of Matthew Maynard? He's my favourite cricketer. I would rather watch him play than pick up my guitar. Real crossing the divide stuff, huh? As we often see with top quality sports stars, their children are also highly talented. And this was the case with Matthew's son, Tom. Born in 1989, he went to school in Cardiff alongside sporting contemporaries which included Gareth Bale and Sam Warburton. And from there he went to senior school at Millfield, where he would meet and become good friends with future top cricketer and Surrey captain Rory Hamilton-Brown. Tom's natural talent was clear to see from a very early age, and he made his way quickly through the youth system at Glamorgan, eventually making his full Glamorgan debut in 2007, where he smashed an impressive 71 from 75 balls against Gloucestershire. From here, his career continued to grow with a string of fine performances for Glamorgan. But when his dad, Matthew, left the coaching team in 2011, Tom's strong link was severed. But news that he was unsettled interested a number of other sides, and he soon decided to sign for top county side Surrey in early 2011. Immediately, he made a huge impression And with his talent, work ethic and very likeable personality, he continued to make rapid progress. He ended the season on a huge high, playing a pivotal role with a masterful century in the game that saw Surrey promoted back to the top cricket division. And he rounded off the season with a tour of Bangladesh with the England Lions, which is the England and Welsh reserve cricket team. It was a fantastic end to his first season with Surrey. And 2012 started off in an amazing way. A vital century against Worcestershire and other strong performances meant that Tom was second in the club's batting averages. But it wasn't just his performances on the pitch that marked Tom as having a great future. He was a genuinely popular man, liked not just by his teammates but everyone at the club. He was a top bloke. He was dating a model girlfriend, Carly and was living with his old Millfield school friend, Rory Hamilton-Brown, who was now captain of Tom's County, Surrey. On the 17th of June 2012, Tom Maynard played a T20 match, the short form of the cricket game, against Kent. He made just seven runs in an eight-wicket defeat. It was the last game of cricket ever played by Tom Maynard. Early the next morning at 5am, It was just another day at work for London tube driver Martin Hopping. 
He was approaching Wimbledon Park Station in south-west London, on the London Underground District line, at about 35 miles an hour, when he hit Tom Maynard's motionless body. The driver said, I suddenly saw what looked like a white bag of ballast on the track ahead. When I got two carriage lengths away, I saw it as one object laying across the rails rather than bags. When he spotted that to the left of the body there was a white trainer, he realised what was on the track and said, To my horror, for the first time I saw what it was, a person laying perfectly still, stretched across all four rails. His head was facing away from me, I can picture it very clearly, and the impression I had was he didn't look like he had fallen, but rather the person had laid down. He pulled on the emergency brake and sounded the horn, but he was unable to stop his train hitting Tom. At just 23, Tom Maynard's life of such promise ended in the early hours of that morning, leaving so many people devastated. But why was he there on the track? Just what had happened? Let's go back to the events of the previous evening to find out. After the T20 match in Kent, when Tom got home, he started drinking heavily with his housemate Rory and another work friend, fast bowler Jay Denbach. They lived in South London and headed to the ship inn in Wandsworth for more drinks before going home to continue the session. From here they headed to trendy nightclub Aura in Mayfair, which at the time was a haunt of the beautiful young people like you and I. It's the sort of place where you'd find, as well as top true crime podcasters, other celebrities such as Tamara Ecclestone, who once spent £30,000 on champagne. But Tom and his pals were regulars there, they enjoyed the vibe, and as successful young sportsmen at the top of their game, they'd money to spend. That night they met three sisters in the club and left with them, back to the place shared by Tom and Rory. But Tom didn't hang around at home. At 3am, although he'd now been drinking for a number of hours, he got in his car and pulled away. Ten minutes later, he called his girlfriend Carly. She later described this call saying, He sounded very down and depressed on the phone. For me to say, what's wrong, is quite unusual. It was like he needed me. He said, you're the only thing that makes me happy. And he said it three times. Tom said he was going to drive to her house, but Carly tried to persuade him not to, as he'd been out that evening. She said, I tried to persuade him not to come, because I was so worried that he was getting into his car after drinking. They carried on talking as he was driving, but then suddenly, without explanation, there was no answer on his phone. There was no sound of an impact, so she didn't think that Tom had crashed his car. She had no idea at all what had happened. And when Tom failed to shop at her house, she called his phone over 50 times and ran into the street to look for him. With no sign, eventually she made her way to the police station in Wandsworth to tell officers there of her concerns. What had happened was that police officers in an unmarked police car had seen Tom's black Mercedes driving erratically in Arthur Road, southwest London, not far from the All England Tennis Club, where the Wimbledon Tennis Championships are held every summer. It was now 4.15am. After following the car for a short time, Tom's car stopped in a dead end, 
and then performed a U-turn to face the two police officers. One of them got out of the car and asked Tom to wait, but he appeared nervous and he ran away. The policeman told how, I shouted, police mate, just wait there for a minute. He did look quite nervous and uneasy. I thought he was going to say something, and then he just ran off. They gave chase up to Melrose Avenue, but lost sight of him. Other officers joined the search within the next few minutes, but they couldn't locate Tom. He left his keys in the ignition and his mobile phone in the car, which was continually ringing as his girlfriend desperately tried to get hold of him. And at 5.10am, the officers were called to close to Wimbledon Park Station, where the body of a man fitting the same description had been found on the railway tracks. Among the tributes to Tom, his club chairman at Surrey said, his future potential was unlimited, with experts both inside and outside the club predicting he would soon follow in the footsteps of his father Matthew by graduating to full England honours. Our thoughts at this awful time with Tom's family and friends and all those who were close to him. Tom Maynard was a prodigiously talented young batsman who'd made an incredible start to his career and was clearly destined for greater things. The impact Tom made in such a short period of time for Surrey spoke for itself. There's a profound sense of loss at the passing of Tom. To lose anybody at such a young age is an utterly senseless tragedy. At the inquest, the forensic pathologist responsible told how Tom had died of multiple injuries. He had suffered burns to his feet, ankles and shin, which were consistent with injuries suffered by touching live railway tracks. But it was impossible to say whether the cause of death was electrocution from the live rail or being hit by the train. The post-mortem had shown he was nearly four times over the legal limit to drive, with 310 micrograms of alcohol per 100 milligrams of urine, and he'd also taken cocaine and ecstasy. Tests on his hair indicated he may have taken cocaine daily in the three and a half months before his death, and a specialist who examined a sample of his hair said he was a regular user of MDMA and a regular user of cocaine in the time prior to his death. His friends and fellow players who'd been with him on the night of his death said they didn't have a clue that he used drugs. After all, players are always liable to random tests and they could happen up to 10 times a season. Rory Hamilton Brown, who lived with Tom, said there'd been nothing unusual in his behaviour before his death. He said, I always had him down as someone who I was jealous of. His ability to combine highs and lows and manage to stay level. I always had him down as a very level-headed guy. The inquest did hear that Tom had been disciplined by Surrey 10 days before his death, after a night out drinking in Brighton, when he got run over and he left him for black eye. His dad Matthew told the inquest, Tom was a highly talented, dedicated and respected sportsman and student of cricket. He always had time for people and spending time with supporters. He enjoyed socialising and had a capacity for drinking alcohol at the right time to enjoy himself and relax. The inquest concluded that Thomas Lloyd Maynard suffered multiple injuries 
as a result of physical contact with live train lines and being run over by an underground train on the line between Southfields and Wimbledon Park, led the verdict. The post-mortem and toxicology report stated that Mr Maynard had a high level of alcohol, along with cocaine and cocaethylene. It concluded that Thomas Maynard died as a result of an accident. The coroner urged sports organisations across the UK to consider using hair samples for drug testing in the future in the wake of the inquest, saying, Consideration should be given to that, and more generally with drug testing in the sporting world. She said this after hearing that Surrey Cricket Club did not use hair samples to test for drugs. We are unable to say from the pathological findings whether the contact with the live rail occurred before or after his body was struck by the train. If he contacted the live rail before the train hit him, it's possible he would have been unconscious or even dead before the train struck his body. Of course, the drinking and the drug use was the headline in many of our papers. His family responded with the following simple but effective statement. The results of the inquest do not define our son. The fact that so many people thought the world of him is what defines him as a person. The only people who would judge Tom on the findings of the inquest are people who didn't know him. He made choices that night that tragically cost him his life. But his devastated family and friends will love and miss him unconditionally, always. I also like the following brief quotes from the physio at Surrey County Cricket Club. He said, What was clear from the start was that Tom was a very open, friendly lad who was also gentle, funny and intelligent. What I really liked was for a bloke with the looks, the chat and all the talent, there was not a single arrogant bone in his body. He radiated warmth and made it easy to relax in his company right from the start. So what do you make of what we've heard today? I appreciate today's story is a little different from those we normally cover on this podcast. But to me, it's another of those themes that we cover here so often. In our lives, we sometimes make those choices on just a normal standard night out that have much more far-reaching consequences than we could ever expect. But for all of us listening today, when we've made those poor choices, we've always managed to get away with it to fight another day. But tragically for Tom, this wasn't the case. As his dad said, he made choices that night that tragically cost him his life. I wonder what made him make a run from his car that night, rather than just staying put and taking the consequences. If he'd been thinking clearly and logically, he would know that with his car and his phone, the police would still track him down. And how did he end up on the tracks? Was he just trying to escape, I guess? As you can tell, I'm incredibly sympathetic towards Tom Maynard and what happened to him. I appreciate that others aren't. There are many who slate him for drink driving and potentially putting others at risk and that annoying ex-MP Edwina Curry described what happened to him as Darwinism at work. You may well feel this way, which is especially understandable if you've lost someone close to you through drink driving. But for me, in this last podcast before Christmas, I think that sometimes we need to give people a bit of a break for sometimes making bad choices 
at certain times in our lives. I think of all those people who have been directly affected by his tragic death so young, and as I seem to say so often on this podcast, I mourn for the loss of all the promise shown in his young life. My heart goes out to those who would never recover from his death. If you'd like to see how the work of the Tom Maynard Trust has helped aspiring young sports people following his death, please head to www.tommaynardtrust.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story and any other aspects of UK True Crime, please head to the Facebook group where you'll be made very welcome. Sort of. And to support the show and catch all the exclusive content, please just head over to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. Remember to get your free signed copy of my book about Scottish serial killer Angus Sinclair. Just get your annual subscription from Patreon for as little as £15, just before the end of December. And I promise it'll be much better received at Christmas than those bath bombs, aftershave, or whatever else it is that you buy at the last moment. Remember, give the gift of the UK's 37th most popular true crime podcaster this Christmas. <laughs> God, I could work for the government with those sort of logos, couldn't I? Dear, oh dear. So that's all for me for another week. So until we speak again next week, please do take it easy and have a wonderful, peaceful, and most importantly, classy Christmas. Cheerio for now. I'll speak to you on Tuesday.